Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky soil, or on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, and the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows and becomes larger than the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. May God bless this, the reading of his living word. You may be seated. So this morning, as we continue our series on the Gospel of Mark, we come to one of the most famous parables of Jesus, the parable of the sower. And this parable, as explained by Jesus himself, pushes us to consider how we respond to his words. What does the word do to our own hearts? So I, my outline has four points, and they're all imperatives. They're all, they're all application points, in a sense, because I'd like us to take this passage personally, as we should with any passage. We should take it personally, and we should expect that the Spirit of God will use His Word and, and will change us. So here's my outline. I'd like us to first hear the parable. Second, go to the person. Thirdly, trust the process. And lastly, learn the principle. Hear the parable, go to the person, trust the process, and learn the principle. Okay, so as we go through the Gospel of Mark, we, our goal is to discover or rediscover who Jesus really is, to see this picture of Jesus that is clear, unadulterated, unobscured by various agendas and interpretations of who Jesus should be and who should he, he should align with and what we can use him for. We're looking at the Jesus as he is, as he himself <clears throat> reveals himself in, in the Bible. So we learned that this Jesus, this Jesus as he is, loved to teach in parables. <laughs> he loved to teach in parables. Uh, almost half of his teaching is in stories and parables and metaphors. So the question is, Why? Why does he use these simple stories, everyday examples, you know, things that his audience was clearly very familiar with? Why does he use these, these simple stories to teach spiritual truths? That's what a parable is. It's an extended metaphor that's familiar, but is used for spiritual <clears throat> purposes. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Why does Jesus do that? Well, one answer is, is that he is a master communicator. And there's a lot of people think that Jesus 
preaches in parables, teaches in parables, using these examples, because that makes it easier for people to understand what he's saying. Now, there's truth to that opinion. Of course, Jesus is very good at communicating. No question about that. But according to Jesus himself, that's not the main reason why he uses parables. So look at verse 11 in our text. This is how Jesus describes, Jesus answers our question, why does he teach in parables? He says to his disciples, to you, to the followers, to the disciples, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to those outside, everything is in parables. Now, notice that Jesus is saying that if I teach in parables, that actually makes it harder for people on the outside to understand. That in fact, spiritual truths are concealed in parables. Now, the disciples, for the disciples, parables become, become sources of, of great truths. I mean, all, all of us who follow Jesus, we treasure these parables. They, they have lots of meaning to us. They're very empowering to us and, and life-changing to us. But to those who refuse to follow Jesus, the secret of the kingdom actually remains a secret. It's not revealed to them. It remains a secret. They hear the parable, but they don't understand its true meaning. This is according to Jesus. So contrary to popular opinion, Jesus is not using parables to make the gospel easier to grasp for people. He's actually making it harder. He's actually doing that so that something else might happen, and we'll get to that in a minute. Now let's look at the parable of the sower itself. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible, widely known, widely referenced by Christians and non-Christians. There are famous works of art that are dedicated to this story. Now let's hear it the way Jesus tells it in verses 3 through 8. Jesus says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depths of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now look how easy it is to understand it. Seed is sown in four types of soil. The seed that fell along the path was immediately eaten by birds. The seed that fell on rocky soil was scorched by the sun because it had no root. The seed that fell among thorns was choked by them and couldn't produce any fruit. And the seed that was planted in good soil produced a surprisingly large harvest. Now, from an understanding point, this is very clear, right? If you, if you wanted to learn about agriculture or first century Palestine, this is really easy to understand. But then look at what Jesus says after he finishes telling this parable in verse 9. He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why, why does he say that? 
I mean, didn't he just do a masterful job explaining the gospel to us? This master communicator making it so accessible and clear to us what the gospel is? His audience just heard one of the best parables, and yet then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he's calling people who just heard the parable to hear. He's telling them, use your ears now after you've heard the parable. The reason he says this is because only those who have a desire to understand will want to learn the meaning of the parable. He's already separating people. He, he teaches the parable and he separates people into those who have ears to hear and those who don't. He's only explaining this parable to those who want to understand. Now, the majority of the people who heard this parable in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus, when Jesus told it, the original audience, the majority of the people who heard the parable walked away without knowing what Jesus meant. We know that only people who then drew near to Jesus, his disciples later, actually understood what the parable was. Most of the people who heard it did not understand what the meaning of it was. They understood the agriculture, they understood the analogy, but they did not understand the spiritual meaning of what Jesus was saying. In fact, when Jesus explains it to the disciples later, he says this kind of response to the word, I heard it but then I walk away without understanding it is a sign of judgment on them. Now, Jesus says in verses 11 and 12, and he's quoting from Isaiah, he's quoting from the passage we read in the beginning of the service, where Isaiah is sent out to preach, and God tells them, you're going to preach, but they're not going to understand. They're going to hear it, but they won't understand it. They're going to see it, but they won't really know what it is. And Jesus says, verses 11 and 12, for those outside... Everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, many people know what Jesus said, but they do not understand or believe it. Many people come and hear sermons, and they are not affected at all by God's Word. They do not have ears to hear, and the gospel remains hidden in a parable to them. We have to see what's happening in this text. Jesus is not just using parables because that's a better way to communicate. He's using it to conceal the gospel so then it can be revealed to his disciples. Okay, so how can we really understand the parable that we just heard? We must go to Jesus for explanation. That's the strategy. Jesus teaches a parable which is easy to grasp, and yet he does not reveal the meaning of it. And for us to understand what the parable is, we have to go find Jesus and ask him. This is what the disciples do. Look, look at verse 10. When he was alone, so crowds are gone, right? He's done teaching. That parable was, was taught but not explained. When Jesus is alone, those around him with the 12, so there's the 12 apostles and also other disciples, 
asked him about the parables. They ask him, and then Jesus explains what he means. And then verse 34, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus told the parables publicly, and then he explained their meaning privately to his disciples. So it's not enough just to hear what Jesus is saying. It's not enough just to hear the parable. You have to go to the person. You have to go find him. You have to become his disciple to understand what the word is saying. Now, imagine getting an email. And in that email, as it often happens, there's the title of the article everybody wants you to read, right? Big letters. Now, you've already formed your opinion about the article. You know exactly what it says, right? You may have already shared with the person. But in that email, there's a link. And that link takes you to the actual article. And only by going to the actual article can you understand what the article means. You cannot assume that you got it because you read the title. You, you, you can't do that. You have to click the link to learn what the article is about. This is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's giving you the parable. That's the title. And then he's telling you, now come to me. Click on the link and learn from me what this article actually means, what this parable actually means. Now, I remember when I was growing up, uh, one of the biggest marketing strategies was to wear a button, right? Usually it asked, ask me how. So, want to be debt free? Ask me how. Want to lose weight? Ask me how. That was the, 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 the strategy. And then apparently people would you know, ask and you learn and you lose weight or you get rid of your debt. This is what Jesus is doing. Here's the parable. Ask me, Jesus says, about the meaning. Come to me. Follow me and you will learn what the word is saying. Now, the gospel is not meant to be hidden. Jesus says that it's not like a lamp that we can put under a basket or under a bed. No, the lamp must be put on the stand. So the light of the gospel shines, but where does the light of the gospel shine? It shines in His presence. It shines around the person of Jesus. And so for us to know what the gospel is, we have to go directly to Him. When we have to learn from Him, we have to ask questions to Him. And those who separate His words from His person can never understand His words. You cannot understand this book unless you know the person. You cannot understand the gospel unless you have a relationship with the person, the person of Jesus. The gospel is revealed only to those who go to Him, who follow Him, who trust Him, who love Him, who serve Him, who listen to Him, who focus their attention on Him. Because the gospel is inseparable from who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because the gospel is Jesus. That's the gospel. And we cannot separate the truths of the gospels from the person on whom the gospel is centered. Jesus himself is the good news to the world. 
You know, when Jesus came, it's not what he said that made the difference, but it's because he came. It's because he suffered. It's because he died. It's because he rose again. That's what makes the difference for the world. That's the good news. Now, we tend to limit the gospel, and we tend to push it into these words and say only the words of the gospel are the gospel. No, the words explain what the gospel is. But the gospel itself is the person and work of Jesus. So to know the gospel, to be changed by the gospel, you have to know the person. You have to be changed by the relationship with the person. That's how the gospel works, because Jesus himself, as John writes, is the Word. Now remember, John starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He's talking about Jesus, and he's saying, I'm going to write a lot of words in this book. And he's saying, and I could write a lot more, and I can't fit it all in the scroll, right? But he says, but the point is that this Word is embodied, that this Word, this message, this hope, this gospel actually became a person, became a human person. And so when we're talking about hope, it's the hope is Jesus. When we're talking about salvation, salvation is Jesus. You can't separate the message from Him. He is the Word. He is the way. He is the way. It's not that He shows us the way, but He is the way. He is the truth. It's not that I can affirm the truth and not affirm Jesus. I can't. That, that is impossible. If I affirm the truth, I affirm Him. If I know Him, I know the truth. And He is the life. There's no life outside of Him. No matter how many principles you learn, no matter how many five-step programs you attend, there's no life outside of Him. It's only through Him. He's the light of the world. When He says we can't hide the light, right? We can't put it under the basket or under the bed. It has to shine. What is He saying? He's saying, I need to be put on display. I need to shine. You need to gather around me. For the light of the gospel to shine in your life, you need the light of Jesus. You need Him. Now, what does this Jesus now say is the meaning of this parable? Look at verses 14 through 20. Because He actually tells us exactly what, it's, what it means. He explains it as the disciples gather, as we gather today around Him. He tells us what this parable means. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on, on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. The better title for this parable probably is Parable of the Soils. It's parable of the soils because it contrasts these four soils. You have three that don't bear fruit. You have three types of responses where the gospel doesn't work on the person. And you have one where the gospel does work. 
And according to Jesus' explanation, it's the soil that is the main factor in how a person responds to the gospel. It's you. It's actually you. It's your heart. That what determines how the gospel, how fruitful the gospel is, is, is your heart, is how you receive it. Now, sure, there's Satan who snatches it away. That's real, right? As soon as the gospel is preached, you should expect opposition. You should expect that, that Satan is going to be involved trying to snatch it. Of course, there are persecutions and tribulations or other difficulties, other types of suffering. When you identify with Jesus, often you, you realize your life is now harder, not easier. And so how do you respond to that? That could be discouraging. That could discourage real permanent commitment to Jesus, and you can fall away. Sure, there are the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things that oppose faith in Christ and in the gospel. But these are hindrances that only succeed because the word is not rooted deep enough. Actually, it's not Satan that determines how the word bears fruit or not. It's not the cares of the world. It's not persecution that determines it. It's how deep that word is in the soil. So the good soil, the seed planted in good soil is able to withstand demonic attacks. It's able to withstand persecution and tribulation and suffering. It's able to withstand even the temptations of the world and the flesh. But only the good soil with the seed planted deep, deep into it is able to produce fruit. Now, what's the point of the parable? The point is that we must take the gospel seriously. We must take it seriously. We must open our heart to it. We must seek for it to be planted deep, deep into our hearts. Because only a life which the gospel permeated deeply bears fruit. It's not enough just to hear a parable. It's not enough just to know what Jesus says. It has to come into your heart. It has to be planted deep. And it has to grow in spite of the hindrances, in spite of the barriers. Real change comes from deep, serious acceptance and deep, serious obedience to the message of Jesus. That's how you change. That's how you become fruitful. You actually take it seriously. And it cannot happen without Jesus. We go to him not only to understand his teaching, not only to understand the gospel, but also to be changed by him. Who can protect you from Satan? We looked at it a couple of weeks ago. Who has power greater than Satan's power? Jesus does. Who can give you meaning and strength in suffering? Only Jesus can do that. Who is better than any temptation of the world? Who has more riches than anything the world can offer to you? Who has more pleasure than anything the flesh can offer to you? Jesus. So it's not only that we go to the person so we can understand, we go to the person so we can actually be changed. And so the gospel can take root and grow and bear fruit 
in our lives. We need Jesus to change us. So we go to the person, and then we must trust the process. Look at another parable Jesus tells in verses 26 through 29. He says, The kingdom of God is, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He's sticking with the analogy. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not, what, not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now, the same planting, harvesting analogy. But the point here is that the word works even when you don't see or understand how it works. The word continues to work quite in spite of us understanding or seeing that it's working. I often pray before I preach. One of my standard go-to prayers is, is, Lord, let your word do the work. Let your word do the work. Because I know that the power comes from his word. As that word is spoken, however imperfectly, as that word is received by faith, it actually works on you. Now, you may not see it. You may not know it until later, but it actually continues to work in you. This is why, friends, you need to come to church every Sunday. Not to please me, not to make me happy, which of course it makes me happy when I see you. And when the church is full, yes, it makes me happy. But that's not why you should be here. You should be here because you want to be in the regular rhythm of the Word working on you. Friends, you should read your Bible every day. You need to do that. Not because if you do it, God would bless you and you'll be a successful, prosperous Christian because you will have fulfilled all his requirements. No. You should read the Bible every day so you can be in that environment every day where the Word can work on your heart. So you can immerse yourself in it and expect that that Word will actually produce fruit in your life. Now, let me give you a story of my hapless gardening. I've shared some of them before. I'm an aspirational gardener, meaning that I, in my mind, you know, <laughs> my garden is, is lush. Um, in reality, it's, it's, it's not so. What I'm learning is that a lot, of things is a lot of things are happening when I don't see them happening. Often when I have given up on something, it continues to work. So my garden right now, which I don't understand why, is, is bearing tomatoes and peppers right now, like in the middle, middle of October. I don't know why this is happening. It didn't do it for a while. My, my first peppers are just coming in now, which is trouble, right, because it's cold. But for a long time, there was nothing happening, and I was close a couple of times of just saying, I'm just going to get rid of these pepper plants because they're obviously they're not working, right? And yet, I'm, I'm, I'm not a that kind of impulsive person, so I just, just wait, and I continue to water, and I continue to do what I'm supposed to do. And then you see the peppers are coming in. And then you see the, the, the harvest of tomatoes turns out, in my calendar, is, is late September, early October. Okay? That's when all my tomatoes are coming in for some reason. What is happening there? Well, things are happening that are mysterious that I don't understand. The soil is producing what it's supposed to do. 
And no matter if I know it's happening or not, it's happening. It's working. Something is going on there. Now, this is very similar to how God works in our hearts. You may have given up on something, and you may think, well, man, obviously all those prayers didn't work. I studied the book of Judges, and I'm not getting anything out of it, right? (laughs) What chapter are you on right now in Judges? (laughs) Five, okay, yeah, there's more chapters to come. And, And it's easy to give up. It's easy to say, obviously it's not working. But Jesus tells us this parable, says you go to sleep and, and, and the dirt works, right? The soil works, seeds are growing and it's coming up. And then when the harvest comes, you know, and you get your sickle and you harvest and you see the fruit in your life. That is how it works for every Christian. So the application is you keep investing. You keep reading the Bible, even when it doesn't feel like it's doing anything for you, because the word is actually working on your heart. It keeps working, whether you see it or not. And then at one point, you do see it. You do see it. You see the fruit it bears. Jesus gives us another parable in verses 30 through 32. It's the same topic. He's continuing the same theme. He says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Something that is small, something that feels insignificant and ineffective actually is used by God to produce a great harvest of fruit in your life. Now, you don't know when you just have the mustard seed what's going to happen to it. And the Lord makes it grow. He can plant something little into your heart, and in time, it will produce a great harvest. Let me give you an example from my own experience. There was a time when both Jillian and I were, for whatever reason, different reasons, were studying Psalm 84. So Psalm 84 was on our minds, was on our hearts, and then Polina, our third daughter, has a catastrophic stroke. We're in the hospital with her, we're speaking to the doctor, and what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about Psalm 84. Jillian is thinking about Psalm 84. As we pray, the Lord brings back those verses. For me specifically, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So as we're waiting, we're talking to, to the doctor, and at, this po- at that point, we didn't know if Polly was going to survive, if, you know, what the effects of that stroke were going to be. Now, we didn't know, but we both knew, we both remembered the Lord's word, and we both knew that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That whatever he's doing, which we don't understand, the seed is growing, something is happening in the soil, we don't understand, we don't see it, and yet the Lord says, this is a good thing because I do not withhold good things from you. Now, when we studied the psalm, when we read it, when Jillian, was, I think, was actually speaking on that psalm at a conference, we did not envision that God was going to use that in our own lives. We weren't expecting to get something, a specific application that we can take it to the hospital and apply it there. But the Lord was working. 
that word was working on our hearts. It was preparing us for a very specific circumstance because the Spirit of the Lord knows what you're going to need. So pay attention. Invest in the word and let the word work. This is what Jesus says in verses 24 and 25. He says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What's the principle here? If you invest in the Word, if you actually listen, you pay attention, you take it seriously, you go to Jesus for explanation, there are great blessings in that. God is going to do really big changes in you, and He's going to bless you in ways that you cannot imagine. But if you take it sort of superficially, if you just kind of listen and forget, even the little bit that you learned eventually will be taken away from you. It's not going to matter. And Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention. Immerse yourself in Scripture. Let the Word work on your heart Whether you see it or not, whether it takes a while or not, there will be a harvest, and you will have to go get your sickle to gather it because God's Word is not going to come back void. And finally and briefly, we need to learn the principle. Now, I'm stepping back a little bit. I'm looking at kind of a bigger themes of this passage. We worked through it verse by verse, more or less, and saw the parables and the meanings and what Jesus is doing here. But there's something that you can miss unless you take a step back and see the general theme here. What is happening here? What's the recurring theme in this passage? Well, it's actually a theme that runs through the whole Bible. Notice how something is hidden and that as revealed it works. Something uh, is a parable that's concealed and then it's explained and it bears fruit. Something that's empty is filled, like the measure you use, right? You get a big measure, you have to empty it out. God fills it to the full. A small seed becomes a large plant. Something that is invisible in the night actually becomes real and brings in the harvest. Why all these analogies? Why all these comparisons of something small becoming big, something weak becoming strong, something that we give up on actually bringing a harvest? Something empty is filled. Something in the dark shines. Why, why are all these analogies? Why is all this theme? Because the great theme of Scripture is grace. Because we can look at this passage and we say, okay, what I'm taking away is I've got to work harder, I've got to pay more attention, I've got to read more Bible, go to church more often. And all those things may be true, but none of those things actually work unless there's grace in them. Those are all means of grace. Those are all things we do expecting that God will work, but we are not coming strong to Him. We're coming weak. Who does God or what does God compare you to in all these parables? Dirt. You're the dirt. (laughs) You're the soil. (laughs) I mean, you look at it and you say, where where does the power come from? Well, it's, it's the seed that's planted right. Something that comes from outside and it changes you. Yes, you need to be prepared, of course. But God does things in your life by grace. 
It's in our weakness that He becomes strong. It's in our emptiness that He fills us. It's in our openness to Him that actually bears fruit. It's in our smallness that He does big things. Now, this is, this is a principle that's all over the Scriptures, right? In Judges, you read that. Who does He pick? Not the likely people. Who are the apostles? Not, not the kind of people you would choose to run a church, right? You, you look through it, and, and what happens with all of us? We are made weak so God can work in us. And so, when you think about your life, don't despise suffering. Don't despise brokenness. Don't despise when you don't understand the Bible. Don't despise those things because this is when God is actually going to work. He's going to explain it to you. He's going to make it real to you. He's going to come in strength when you are weak. And there's a lesson for the church here too. We make this mistake over and over again when we say, for the church to survive, we must appear strong. No, not according to the gospel of Jesus. You must become weak for God to work in you. You must empty yourself for God to fill you. That's a temptation. Luther called it theology of glory versus theology of the cross. He saw the medieval church going for the spectacular, going for the miracles, going for the glitter. We're going to make our buildings as beautiful as we can. We're going to accumulate as much political power as we can. We're going to be as wealthy as we can be. And Luther said, that's not according to the gospel. According to the gospel, God works through the church when it's broken, when it's weak, when it has lost its cultural power. God comes through and the gospel becomes beautiful. And the gospel attracts to people. Now, this principle of grace, why is it so prominent in Scripture? Because Jesus is himself the person of grace. He actually did all these things. He came to do all these things. That is the gospel. That is this principle of grace. The power comes from the one who became weak, who became invisible, who emptied himself. What does Jesus come to do? He didn't come in glory. He didn't come to establish this great, powerful kingdom, looking for powerful people, looking for smart people. What did he do? He come in weakness, emptied himself, Invisible, obscure, right? Dying, abandoned by all. Now look at John 12, 23 and 24. This is how Jesus himself describes what he came to do. He said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's talking about the cross. He's saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I'm going to die, he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Not only does the gospel power come through weakness and emptiness and invisibility and all those things, it also comes through death. In the gospel, life comes through death. If we are his followers, we also will live like him. So we, we're going to come to the table and take communion. And I want you to think about the cross. I want you to think about the empty tomb. 
Do you hear the word of the crucified? Do you go to him, the one who gave his life for you on the cross so he can give you life through the resurrection? Do you trust him to not just explain the word to you, but to change you by that word?